Hello, I'm Aisha, and you're listening to Tossing Pennies. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good night, whatever it is for you. Um, today we're talking about, I don't know, I actually don't even know what topic to call this. I just have like a bunch of ideas in a similar like area and I was just I just put it together on a on a google doc and I was like okay this is a podcast episode um I guess it's about like I don't know so I was thinking a lot about like what what kind of impacts how a person how a person processes things like how a person not only thinks but how a person how um willing they are to change their opinion on something or how easy it is for them to be swayed one way or another or have certain um, thought processes that are more like charismatic versus some that are more practical and kind of refrains from seeing any like emotional impact or any like impact on individual lives when they make an when they have an opinion on on something, on the way that society should be structured or, or on how a decision should be made. And I kind of was sitting with that thought and I thought back to a lot of the things that I read or heard recently that kind of probably sparked my kind of spiral down this, this topic. And um, this is kind of just like a me just talking about some things that I thought of recently. It's it's such a, I don't even know. I'm sorry. This is just like, it's quite vague. Um, but I mean, I hope it comes together, but I, there, I mean, it's nothing. It's, it's just more about like, just throwing words around about how we think and how I think we think. Um, so nothing serious. <laughs> um, I recently read this, not recently, so about like three or four months ago, I finally got around to reading um, The God of Small Things. It's a novel by um, Rondati Roy. Um, just for like a very quick overview of the novel. Um, it's a book kind of that centers around two twins and it's set in Kerala, India. Um, and it's about like many things. Like it's obviously about like family dynamics. It's about childhood. It's about how your childhood impacts how you grow up to be. It's about um, in, in, in Kerala at the time that it's set, like I think it's set around like the 19, like the 1960s, 1970s. Um, so it kind of also nods at the, at a lot of the like communist protests that were going on at the time. But it, but it also talks a lot about not, it doesn't like talk a lot about, but it, it I think it um, does a really good job at nodding to to how you can be part a, of a political theory, but be also like oppressors within that theory and about how that dynamic plays out, about how you can, you know, perceive yourself as a savior and as someone who is on the right side, but like so clearly um, have it not be so. I think it's an incredible book. Um, I really did enjoy it. And especially on the themes of growing up, this book, it's, so I, I think I mentioned it earlier, it's 
basically centers around these two twins and um it's a oh, half of the book is about their childhood it's about like building up to this one pretty important story that takes place when they're I think like when they're like maybe like uh seven or eight years old and then you see them years later I think when I think maybe like 10 or 12 years later you see them and it, it's just like a back and forth type of book and I remember reading that book one of my favorite things about this author and about the book specifically was how well she captured adolescent thinking like and not even in the very I think like a lot of books that I remember reading like YA novels um that I feel like anyone my age was obsessed with in middle school like you know your Harry Potters your Percy Jacksons I think like they do obviously a good job at um capturing a little bit of that thought process of how people have how kids perceive and process things and that's why they you know they attract you know a base of I don't know like eight to 17 year olds is that like the young adult category I don't know um but I think this book it was more focused on like the very small details of how you process things when you're younger that you don't even remember. Like very, very basic things that I think get thrown around all the time about like, oh, being teenagers or whatever, you know, the same like, oh, you're insecure, you're like mean, maybe if you're having a hard time trying to figure out um, things on your own, you're like, I don't know, they're, they're like these set perceptions of how teenagers are or, you know, what is expected for a person to go through when they're younger. But this book, um, I think like tapped into processes of thinking that I remember I read them and I was like, she's right. Like I used to think like that when I was like six or seven years old. Um, I think like a specific example being there's this one, one of the twins is both of them actually when they're younger, they're like very aware of how people around them are reacting to them, which I think, I think it's, I think it's like a myth to think that kids don't notice things or kids don't um, pick up on how people are talking about them or what's being talked about. Like, I know that, you know, when you're younger, you're obviously a lot more ignorant to like social cues and to understanding um, family and social dynamics, but that's, you know, that's a given. But at the same time, I think not having that knowledge almost makes you a lot more perceptive or not necessarily perceptive, but, but you pay almost closer attention to certain things and certain details just because you have no experience to go off of and it was really incredible to read like lines of a child thinking about something and saying well I remember thinking like processing something that happened to me exactly in the same way like for example like one of the um one of the like twins was like upset with how someone that they were like close to like was just like mad with them right it's like such a it's such a easy thing like it's such a basic thing like I wouldn't think so much about it today like I wouldn't be like oh this person hates me or this person is like completely done with me right like you don't you take it seriously but you don't take it as seriously as you did when you were younger and I think that growth especially for one of the twins where, where, you know, she was able to, you see her having that mentality of um, being like overly cautious over how she's being perceived, what people are saying about her. Does her mom still love her or not? Is after like her mom just like yelled at her for like two minutes. 
um, and she's like, you know, this like seven-year-old kid is like spiraling over, like, do my parents love me anymore? But it's like, you know, I, I guess it's like when you're seven years old, you don't have the insight that, you know, this person's like might be, might have like said something to you, but they're not like mad, mad with you. And then when you're older and you have that experience of, you know, having had multiple interactions with different people um, in different ways, you have that experience and it kind of navigates how you respond to something else happening to you again, even if it's from a different person, because um, you don't take it as seriously because you've dealt with it before. I guess like this, a lot of this would come across like very emotionally unintelligent, which like, I'm not saying like, I'm like the, I'm like, yeah, this is like not advice or anything in any way, but I think like, I think there is like a middle ground to how much you care when you're younger about certain things and how, when you grow older, um, you realize it's not that deep. Um, which is kind of the larger point that I'm trying to get at just in terms, especially just in terms of like your interactions with people, but the twins do go through like a lot more like traumatic stuff, like, and you see how that plays out in how they live out the rest of the couple of months that you see them as children, but then also how that influences how each twin is different when they're older and you see them, you know, in those uh, time parallels of like when they're in their twenties and you see what their life has become, their personality, their attitude, how they talk to people, how they think about things. And it's like almost like you can link it perfectly back to very specific instances in their, in the childhood that they, that you read of, um, that you can almost like very easily connect the dots and say, wow, did that one specific thing have a lasting impact? Which is like my other favorite thing about that book. It's like, you see a very clear, there's a very clear theme of how like very small things, like almost mundane things or things that you wouldn't um, attribute a lot of attention to or things that you don't know about, things that are serious and important and horrifying. And, you know, the rest of society never learns about and then how that plays out into what that person becomes. Um, anyway, I, I thought about that book a lot for, I read it like two, three months ago, but I've thought about that book for a while um, because it's like, I think I think I never like, I, I never thought about how I think. Like I never thought about, okay, well, when you were seven years old, this is how you perceive things or when you, and then now like you have this type of response to X, Y, Z. Um, but I think like this book kind of made me think more consciously about that dynamic. Um, and then recently, this was like a couple weeks ago when I tried to find that TikTok, but I think it was deleted. Um, I believe it was on John Green's TikTok account. Um, John Green's the bro brother who writes like all those novels, right? I know they both do, but I think like, yeah, I think it's him anyway. Yeah. So John Green, um, wait, is it? No, it's Hank Green. It's Hank Green. Let me just check. Nope, nope, nope. I was right. It's John Green. Okay. Anyway, um, all that to say, so uh, I was on, uh, like there was this random TikTok that came up and it was, I think it was John Green talking and um, he was responding to a comment that asked him about why he writes novels where the characters are like young people, like not even young people. Like these are like teenagers usually, um, right? Because like, I feel like, yeah, teenagers basically um and he basically 
I tried to find the TikTok so that I could like re-verify that I wasn't remembering things wrong and I wasn't just like going to put words in his mouth when I was trying to convey what I think he said. But he said something along the lines of, uh, it's like a lot more, there's just a lot more to work with in the sense that when you're, you know, you, when you're like in, when you're a younger person and you are experiencing a lot of things for the first time, whatever that is, or not for the first time, but you haven't experienced it enough times, like whatever it is, like rejection or like um, burnout or um, like, I think just like recognizing or understanding society for what it is, things of that sort, like things like that you actually are not only passively living within, but you're having more conscious thoughts about that process of it all. He talked about how like, it's a, it's a very interesting thing to write about. And there's like a lot of room to build characters differently and to explore that in very, um, in, I guess, like more varied ways was his larger point. And I thought about that, in, in especially in relation to this book that I'm talking about, The God of Small Things. And it is interesting. Like, I think it's interesting to think about how your response to things changes as you grow older. And a lot of it is attributed to, I, I think, dealing with more things, but also seeing other people deal with other things and just realizing like, it is what it is. And also a lot of things are not that deep. And, but like, it's not interesting or not as interesting to write about those thoughts when someone has it figured out, which um, I don't know. I thought that was, an, that was like a, not a clever response, but I thought that was a response that um, kind of stuck with me because it made me think about, well, what was so interesting about a lot of those novels that I used to read, like in middle school. Um, it's like you get to see someone navigate things that you're kind of, um, you kind of don't even have like fully formed thoughts about or fully formed opinions on. Um, but you see them kind of go through that in these really like fictional novels um but it's still it's still like impacts you nonetheless which um is what books do and then um recently I was also I am an obsessive diary diary entry person like a journal writer whatever you call those people I I don't I don't know if I write every day I don't write every day but I do write most days and like I look forward to being able to like go home and write about something and kind of just like process it, process it and like overthink it and overanalyze it while I'm writing about it. I don't know. It's, 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 it's an incredibly therapeutic experience in my opinion. And it's also just um, fun to read your old entries and to see what you were worried about like six or seven months ago and like how that panned out. And I guess things that you cared so deeply about just a year ago that you don't even remember today. Um, and I, I, I really, I really love like reading my old entries. Like, you know, I, I will still read, I'll just like quickly look at like entries from earlier in the year when I'm about to write another diary entry. It's, it's just fun to see, um, it all in one place and to see like how you were writing about something or how you were thinking about something. Um, I also think like we, a lot of times we think that just because something matters so much to us right now, or because we're thinking about something so much right now that it's like, it's going to be like that forever. And I don't know if it, this is like 
particularly worse for me because I do know that I'm like a person who goes through phases very quickly. Like I will be very obsessed and very involved in something for like a couple of weeks to maybe like a, maybe a couple of months. Um, and I'll be like really interested in like this particular book. Or I'll be really interested in this particular like ideology or like, and, and it happens with like everything. Like I, I have that like habit with like most things. Um, like if we're talking about food or like a particular book or a particular color, like I have that habit with most things. Um, but I also have that with like, just like things that are occupying my headspace a lot during a given period of time. And I think, I mean, I think that exists like at some level for everyone where you are thinking a lot about something. And then be, obviously, because you're doing that at the moment, you think that it's going to be important for you like forever because it's important to, for you right now. Or maybe not forever, but you're not all, you're also not consciously thinking about how like, oh, this is not going to matter to me in six months. And so you'll be, you'll be putting so much energy and so much thought into whatever, like whatever this thing is. And, um, and then like, you know, six months later, you don't have any memory of it, or maybe you do have a memory of it, but it's like a very phasey or very, um, very like shaped out specific memory that you've like carved out in your head to think about, you know, whenever you're thinking back to that month or that time of the year, whatever it is. Um, and I really realized that in like reading old diary entries that I I have like a perception of something in my head. Like I, I'm, you know, I have a way of thinking about, for example, like the spring of 2021. Like if I think back, I have like these like three or four things that I very specifically remember I was, you know, I was thinking about or I was, um, or something that just consumed a lot of my time. And like, I have that, that image of, you know, those couple of months. But then when I go back and I read diary entries from that, from that time, right? Like I will be met with like so many other random things that I've completely forgotten about. Or, you know, in my head, I will have perceived this one thing in a specific way. But then when I read back to my diary entries about that thing, you know, I had like multiple different thoughts and multiple different um, perspectives on that thing, like day to day. And that's one of my favorite things about writing a diary entry. It's just like you kind of capture how you're feeling about something on that one particular day, but there's no guarantee that you're going to think about it in the same way the next day. And that's why it's like fun to read back to those thoughts and to, to think that, you know, like, it's interesting how, like, even in like, um, for example, like the time, how even in a month's time, your priorities or your obsessions have completely shifted. Um, I'm saying all this to kind of tie it back to the to the earlier thing that I'm talking about, just in terms of um, how you process things when you're younger, because I kind of started writing journal entries. I don't remember exactly when, but you know, I wasn't always like a diary keeper. I think in like sixth and seventh grade, I would write in my diaries like on and off, but I more of did that because I would see like people in shows or something, keeping journals and keeping diaries. And I thought it was cool. Um, but that's kind of why I did that more of, um, but I have this habit, especially I think like later on, I think in middle school, I was more consistent with my diary keeping, but I had this habit of like, I would finish a notebook and I would just throw it away. Um, and like, I couldn't imagine doing that today. Like I could not imagine putting so much of my like thought and so much of um, my time and my energy and just my, not even, not even all that, but just have a collection of my head, like of things that go on in my head and having a collection of that, a physical collection of that and just disposing of it. Like I 
could not imagine doing that today. And if there's one thing that I like, if, if I had three wishes, I would 100% use one of those wishes to get those diaries back just because I'm like so interested to think, to like understand like what it was that I was writing about or what it was that I was so like upset over or so, or just like gave so much time to when I was like six years old. Like I wonder, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had like those, like, this is the end of my life. Like, this is like, this is, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had like very dramatic perceptions on things like, oh my God, this is it. Like, this is like, this is the end all, or this is like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me, or this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it's like, kind of, it would be so, it would just be so amazing to read those thoughts of myself as a six-year-old um, and to read them now, you know, 15 or not 15, but like 14, 15 years later. Um, anyway, I, I was thinking about that and I was just thinking about like, well, like, I don't understand how, you know, seven, eight-year-old me was just like able to just like throw these notebooks out just because I was finished writing in a notebook. Um, and I'm, I'm sure like it changes like person to person. Like I know people who are diary keepers who have like every single thing that they've ever written in, like locked away in some part of their closet. Um, but, and I'm sure it's like a lot of it is just like very myself specific and, you know, based off of like my, my attitude and my, um, my own persona, but it made me think about how, when you're younger, you do treat a lot of your thoughts and a lot of your, a lot of things that make you an individual, you treat a lot of that as disposable because, well, like you just think, well, this is how it is. Like I'm thinking about something and I'm writing about it and okay, now I'm done writing about it. So goodbye. Um, I think like now when you're older, you have that forethought of no, like this, this, this is like a, this is part of a larger, or this could be part of a, of, of a, like a larger understanding of how I think about things, or, you know, um, I'm using this more of to, to understand why I feel a certain way rather than just me writing out about my day, just because like I'm angry or just because I have a lot to say and I need to get it out somehow. So I'm going to write, which is like, I think what I did a lot of my diary entries for when I was younger. Um, and I was, I don't know, I find that thought to be kind of just funny because I, I do think I put a lot more weight into the things that I do today, but it's like really interesting to think back that like, you know, 14, 15 years ago, like I didn't care. Like I, a lot of that was just like, it was disposable to me. Like it wasn't important. There was no idea of, um, you know, this is like, these are important parts of your identity, or these are important aspects of how you think and how you think is, 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 you know, very specific to you. And like, you don't have these thoughts because you're just, you're just thinking and you, you're writing if you feel like it. And that's it. There's like, no, there's no additional, um, there's no additional way to process. There's no, there's no additional thought put into, well, why am I writing or what am I doing here? Um, but I did talk about how I threw out most of my diaries. I didn't throw out all of them though. And recently I was reading back to like a couple, I think this was like, these were like entries from when I was like in fifth or sixth grade. And I talked a lot about how, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's crazy to me how people are able to, um, be content with things. Like, I think I was writing about that more in the perspective of 
like watching adults in my life um just be so forgiving about something that like I would have been so restless and angry over and I and it's kind of funny because in my entry I wrote I was like I cannot imagine ever being an adult like that and I hope I never become an adult like that and I've been thinking about that a lot more and I mean it's something that I think I'm going to talk about a little bit later on but um you know as I have kind of more as I've put more focus in in ensuring that I'm my opinions are not you know just opinions because I need to have an opinion on something like my um, opinions on how society should be or you know what what ideologies are important and should be implemented or how um you know like how how we can make society better things of that sort like I think big picture ideas of that sort I have tried to become more conscious of I'm not choosing to believe something because people of my political leaning believe xyz or um you know just because very curated news media outlets are telling me to react in a certain way to um, a movement or to an idea um so on the one hand like i am a lot more conscious about how it's important to to be able to see a middle path and to be able to take a step back and process things in a less reactionary manner but at the same time i think back to when i was younger and when i would see people just be a lot more passive in 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 how they responded to something or just be a lot more accepting of different types of treatment even if they didn't deserve to be um even if they could have been more forward in saying that you know xyz treatment is wrong or xyz uh, you know or something was upsetting things of that sort you um things of that sort, like I didn't understand how you could just be so forgiving or how you could just, you know, see a middle path and not have an automatic loyalty to a group of people who are like very clearly victims in a situation or very clearly, um, you know, in need of immediate help in a situation. Like I didn't understand how you could just like sit back and say that like, you know, because of these other factors, we can't do anything about it now. And I still don't understand that. Like I still it boggles my head that there are people in, in, in positions of power who could do, and you could just like completely change millions of lives with a snap of a finger, very, like not even metaphorically, but like, and like not even like in, 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 in an exaggerated sense, but very truly, but they choose not to. And I guess I've been thinking about like, well, where is that line of, of understanding that you have to take a step back and not be very reactionary towards something. And you have to, you know, be able to, you know, see both sides to something and to, and to be accepting of different ideologies, even if a certain ideology like goes, even certain ideologies are things that you could, you could never like imagine yourself living through or living, living with, um, you know, like how do you, how do you keep that open-minded mentality like well and thriving but at the same time, also, you know, not just live your, but also at the same time, not let your opinions become just like passive um, forms of, you know, being just another person who who doesn't have time to care about things because uh, it's difficult to take a specific opinion on something because when you take, when you take a stance on something, people on the other end, like you have automatically become a target. Um, 
so it's like a, I don't know I think that's something that I've been thinking about too it's like about like both I think there is some value to both um, modes of thinking but it's like where do you form a middle line and in what cases are certain ideologies or certain process pro, like you know thinking processes more acceptable and more right than 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 other than other ones um I I remember one of the things that kind of sparked this in my head was um, a podcast that I was listening to. I think it was on Vox Conversations, and it was um, it was a conversation on policing. Let me just make sure. Okay, so yes, so it was it was it was on Vox Conversations, and it was a discussion with Derecka, Derricka Purnell, and she was on this podcast basically as an abolitionist and just talking about reforming the police and prison system, but not just reforming it, but like changing very fundamental aspects of it from the ground up um and as someone who and as someone who um well I see the need for prison reform as something that we needed like yesterday like it's it's something that has to be dealt with like immediately but at the same time I um I I haven't I I haven't I don't think I've read enough but at the same time I also very clearly understand like where people who are abolitionists so believe in completely um, in certain ways like breaking the prison system and creating a different system in, in replacement of that um, and also like uh, very significantly changing the structure of the policing system I understand where that ideology comes from as well but I guess I guess it's I mean it's partly my fault I don't think I've done enough reading or enough of um, I haven't educated myself as much on the more specific abolitionist movement and what that means and what that would look like. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I was listening to this podcast. And one of the things that she said that she talked about was, you know, she doesn't expect that by the end of the hour that you would like all of a sudden become an abolitionist and become someone who says like, yes, down with the, down with the police, down with the prisons, like let's completely reform everything. Right. Um, or not even reform, like reform is important, but I'm talking more about like completely abolishing it and, um, abolishing like these systems that we grew up with that our ancestors like that you know our grandfathers and their grandfathers grew up with like completely completely dismantling that system and then building a different system in replacement to that um, that idea is a lot more scary for people and I guess understandably so um, that doesn't mean that it's not important uh, but you can acknowledge that it's something that can be harder to sell um, just because of what an abolitionist society would require um, in order to get to that level of of systematic change. Anyway, um, in 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 talking with you know in having that discussion or having that interview, um, she talked about how you know she just hopes that people who are listening are just like able to are able to like for a second just understand like what this would even mean. Like you don't have to commit to um, the movement or you don't have to commit to this idea way of thinking but it's more about just being able to for the first like you know just being able to listen to this um pitch for abolition without having these preconceived ideas in your head about you know this is all bogus or this is all um you know insane and it's going to be the end of society yada 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 like without just like completely isolate those thoughts and just listen to what this could be and I just like, I was like, that's, that's like such a basic thing, but it's like, you don't think about it. You don't think about how 
the importance of um you don't think about the importance of like looking at something and looking at it without all this feedback in that you know swirls around in your head over you know how things are how they should be how they've always been because all that stuff makes you a lot more unwilling of change even if that is good change um and then there was another podcast i think it was on vox conversations as well and it was um it was by this author i can't remember his name but it was about um he was the author of i remember the name of the book i think it was um i think it was um it was about like it was it had a very specific name the book's name was stolen focus yes stolen focus and um basically they had a you know the interviewer and the, and the author they both had like a pretty long conversation about big tech and about technology and about you know how our attention spans have been basically stolen from us through very faulty business models and irresponsible tech executives and tech directors, whatever. It's all stuff that we know. Um, but but it was a very insightful podcast in many ways. And one of the things that I really, the, the, one of the things that I heard from that podcast that really shifted my way of thinking was, I think the interviewer was talking to, was asking the author and saying, well, you know, everything that you're saying sounds like well and good, but it doesn't change the fact that big tech is like a major power, right? Like, the amount of money that they spend in lobbying Congress, like insane. The amount of influence that they have, the amount of power, the amount of money that they have, like how can you sit here and talk about all these things that need to be done, but like realize that we live in a society where the people who need to be removed from power, well, they are the most powerful. Um, and I guess like that's like a thought that I have a lot, not only about big tech, but I have that about the climate movement and about thinking, well, we're working towards like a, you know, trying to fix things as much as we can before it gets really bad. But like, how likely is change um, in a society where the people who are oppressing are the people who have so much money and so much power that anyone who thinks otherwise can never get anything done. Um, and one of the things that he said, and it was like, it was more anecdotal, but it's like stuck with me. Um, he, he talked about how earlier in the 20th century, there was no institution stronger than men. You know, what he meant by that is men were in all professions and they were like executives, leaders on every single, like across the entire board on every, like for everything that mattered um, at a very domestic, you know, individual level, um, the men in your life dictated how you lived, who you married, what was like what you did with your day, what you did with your life. Um, you know, this is still the era of when like rape in marriage was not considered a crime. And, and, and that's the society. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying all this to be like, oh, it's so much better now, but we're talking about like the peak of when you didn't even have the option of a voice or, or most women, nearly all women didn't even have the option of a voice. I mean, there's still ridiculous barriers and ridiculous things that are happening to to women who um live in, in in societies where there are concepts of where women are um you know like treated as human um but then like that's not to disregard like a lot of women who are living in completely different societies where that is still very much their reality but the author was talking about it more in the context of like this was like how the globe was this is how every society was and and yet still we're here today where you have women in, in all these professions and you have women in leadership positions and you have 
finally laws and 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 you have you finally have laws that protect women and protect their dignity at some level i mean it, is any of it even close to perfect not at all but it would be wrong to not acknowledge like how far women have forced society to come and well he was saying all that and then he he linked that to in that case like men were a much stronger and a much more powerful institution than big tech is today right big tech has all this money and it has you know all this lobbying power and all that stuff true but when you think about it in the context of past oppressors right whether we're talking about like men in the, in the early 1900s or we're talking about any other um any other anecdote of struggle um and we're talking about their oppressors this has existed but that doesn't mean rebellion wasn't successful and i think and i've thought about i mean you know, and i've kept that thought in my head for a while and it just made me think about how oftentimes when you grow up and you when you grow up in a in a, in a certain society that in a, in a society where things have always been a certain way even if it's not like it's been a certain way forever it's just been that way since you were born right the internet wasn't a thing in like wasn't a thing when our for example like when my parents were growing up but it's been a thing in in my life um since i turned like seven or eight which again it's not been a thing since like the second i was born but it's it was still a thing at a period where it became consequential enough for me to to rely on the internet and to rely on technology quite heavily in my life today um i'm not i, I didn't mean i didn't mean internet internet's been a thing before i was born obviously i just meant like regular access to digital stuff like you know having a phone and or having like a smartphone or having a smart television tv and all this other um like streaming platforms and youtube and media platforms of that sort that's more of what i was talking about but um but i was like that's that, that, it's it's so truthful because like oftentimes when you just grow up in the, in you know you've grown up seeing um the same big companies pollute the environment and nothing gets done about it or make massive loads of money over the unequal you know over the unequal treatment of their labors both like in in America but even more brutally across the sea and you've seen big tech completely change how we live and completely change our lifestyle for i would argue in many cases for the worse and like face no consequence for it um you do become kind of submissive to this idea that that's how it is and that any change is going to be really difficult and is almost worth not undertaking but like that's also like what these organizations and what these groups want you to believe right their power is in people thinking that people don't have the power to change what these people have created that's like their entire that's why they are in power it's because you know they don't have people to um tell them otherwise or to or to in any way or to in any way challenge the the hegem like the hegemony or the 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 stance that they have the hegemony or the monopoly that they have over over like if we're talking about a business or or if we're talking about things even more serious like the attention span of the average american um and it was just like a very like remarkable way to think and i and i in it it's made me a lot more ob observant of ways that i sometimes can just be like oh that's just that's just going to be too difficult to change that's just how it is because it's like no it truly isn't um i i remember like in my, in a public policy class about like i think a semester ago or something we were talking about i don't remember what it was but 
I remember one of my classmates said this one thing and it was something along the lines of like, at some level in making an economy, we forgot what we made an economy for. And it was to, to ensure that it was easy for, you know, the average person to be able to accumulate some level of, um, you know, like standard wealth so that they could live a decent life. But like in today's world, we've created like the economy is so massive and there's so many words and te- terminologies and organizations and different powers that are attached to the economy that we have like for some reason created this idea in our head that you know the economy only works in favor for certain people or it's only meant to work in favor for certain people and that's okay that this the economy needs to be this like really like hyper capitalist thing where you have people making like excessive loads of money and if people are not making enough money it's their fault and we've created this like really warped up idea of the economy, but also of like other sectors of society of just being like, oh, that's just how it is. And then when you like actually think about it and you're like, no, like we created government so that it's like easier to organize ourselves, not so that we can just be bossed around by people who don't have our interests at, at heart, right? We created the economy so that it's easier for all of us to be able to um, transfer wealth between each other, not because we want to like create these very um, rooted systems of power that uh, and you know, in which you have these very clear like winners and losers, right? That was not the that was not the initial intent of going from seashells to golden coins. I guess I could like come up with other examples, but I think I think that like that I hope that conveys like my general um, just like my, yeah, just my general stance relatively well. Um, and anyway, I think I'm like I think I'm going too far into this. Like anyway, I don't want this to become like a we can change the entire world type segment, but like also like. I mean, yeah. Anyway, that's kind of all that I have for today. Um, that was a really abrupt end to it all. But I I just like wanted to make an episode where I kind of was able to outline and say out loud some of um, what I've been thinking about recently in regards to, you know, how we perceive things and why we perceive things in specific ways. Um, those two podcasts that I was talking about, the one on policing and the one on big tech, um, I think they can both be found on Vox Conversations if you just scroll down a little bit. Um, it's Both of them are definitely from this year. I think um, I think one is from like probably February, the other one's from March. Really great and insightful podcasts. Um, and I 100% recommend listening to them if you're interested. And also The God of Small Things, incredible book. I definitely think it should be on the to-be-read list for this year. And that's kind of that's kind of all that I have for today. Thank you for tuning in and I'll be here next week.